Thanks for listening to CarCast on Podcast One. Hi, this is Ben Dominich, the host of the Federalist Radio Hour. We're a daily show coming to you five days a week from Washington, D.C., where we interview our nation's top journalists, politicians, authors, chefs, economists, entertainers, and more. If you're looking for a contrarian discussion on news, politics, or culture, give us a listen and subscribe at PodcastOne.com, the new Podcast One app, or at Apple Podcasts. Hey, man, before we get started with CarCast, let me tell you about Amazon Automotive. Shop auto parts, tools, accessories quickly and easily. Do it from your phone, do it from your computer, do it from your tablet. Plus, free shipping on millions of items for Prime members. Massive selections of parts, uh, accessories, tools, fluids, even tires. This I did not know. I knew all this other stuff, like they have top brands like K&N and Bilstein, Chemical Guys, Bosch, and more. But I didn't know tires. Smart Amazon, so smart. Tired of looking up part numbers, reading catalogs with Amazon. All you need is the year, make, and model, and you're off and running. Use customer Q&A and product reviews to research and buy the right part the first time. So go to Amazon.com slash auto deals that's amazon.com slash auto deals start your shopping today amazon automotive all right let's get going with the show yeah get it on got to get it on no choice but get on man they get it on thanks for tuning in Telling a friend, we love that about you over here at CarCast. Samantha Crawl, it's Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea. Hello. Well, I still got my cold, so my yeah. voice is a little uh, wanky. Uh, Steve Celine is uh, coming in, world famous Steve Celine. You know all about him. I know all about him. Matt knows all about him. He's uh, going to be introducing a new new ride, right? Yeah, we saw it at the LA Auto Show. It looks great. I, I'm excited to talk a little bit about that with Steve. He hasn't been here since 2009. He came in, uh, he came yeah, in Carcast like first year. The um, now, of course, the uh, seven the S seven. Yeah, those are now. I see them around at auctions and stuff now. Those are fetching good prices. Yeah, I love expensive. those uh, things in race trim. And then um, <clears throat> also, I seem to remember that there was a kind of rent a racer aspect to this. I remember a friend of mine. <laughs> who worked on uh, The Man Show, came in from New York. I think he rented a saline uh, Mustang back in the day, like in the late 90s, something like that. I'm gonna. I'm curious about that. Yeah, we got to ask Steve about that. And you mentioned the S7. There's some news about that as well, because that car has uh, an incredible racing history, very prominent winning racing history. So we want to... So we'll bring Steve in and a couple of few. Uh, before that, what's going on in your world, Matt? You know, I'm kind of looking forward to this uh, to this little break we're getting on because uh, now I can get back into the garage and and working on the Mustang. And you saw I was doing a little paint on the firewall and and uh, yes, unventilated. <laughs> I walked in uh, yesterday and Matt was uh, spraying away. Um, we had just started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I said, and then I was like, "We should open the door." Then you were like, "We should open the door." <laughs> no, I was like, "Put the fan in the goddamn door," like I tell everyone yeah. all the time. There's always this weird thing with the fan. The fan has there. There are things that are weird, like corded wise, like the yeah. big fan, the big circular fan 
has a cord on it that's like five foot. Yeah, if that. A hair dryer has a six foot cord, <laughs> but the fan has a five foot cord. And there's always an outlet that's kind of close enough, but not quite, not so quite. you have to put it at a weird angle, but it still is going to work. But if you had an extension cord, you could put it wherever I, you wanted, but it's not worth it, getting the extension cord. It needed just like another 12 inches of cord. It needed like another foot, and then it would be perfect. Like, it wedges right near the door. Why not put a 12-footer on the big yeah, industrial the big, fan? You know. Like, what are you concerned about? Extra weight? Because that's no. It would. It's it would non-issue. Freight Harbor Harbor Freight. Wait a minute. Yeah, Harbor, Harbor Freight, Freight. Would, would have to charge you another eighty-one cents. Yeah, that's that's why they. Don't, that's it. That's I, why they I'm don't out. do it. Yeah. <laughs> so it'd be a seven dollars and eighty-one cents for that giant fan, right? <laughs> so uh, Matt was uh, chipping away philosophically. Yeah. Um, it's a good idea. Matt, Matt's got yeah. the right plan. He chips away. That's what uh, most people I know who are losers in general, but also losers in the project department, they just don't chip away. They sit around and the project goes untouched yeah. for months and weeks and years. And at some point when you ask them about it, they go, I'm getting ready to make a run at it. And you go, yeah. well, why don't you just hit it for a couple hours every weekend? Time passes quickly. Yeah, I'll bet fair. you'll get a lot done. And they're like, no, no, I'm going to I'm gonna make a run at it. Like, I'm going to get some dudes you know, and we're going to get a running the, start. The problem with that is a lot of times you run into, you're going to need parts. So if you start chipping away on a weekend, then you're like, okay, now I know what I need. And you make your order, you get it in a week, you know. And uh, uh, so then you can get back on it again because you got the parts ordered. So, but one of the things we finished up, I think it was last weekend or so, which I thought was uh, was was pretty cool, was the 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 Mustang, the '93 Mustang, has a, a a straight steering column. It's not tilt because it was the first year with the airbag or the second year with the airbag. Mm-hmm. And when they had the giant airbag in it, they they couldn't figure out how to do a tilting wheel. You know, with, with that, so really, I lowered. I feel like that. Uh... <laughs> yeah, they had a tilt column in '89, and then when they switched to like '90 and '91, and they they had, you know, the earlier ones like '87 or '89 had like a tilt column, and then when they put the airbag in, they couldn't figure out tilt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for some reason, I don't know. So, I I've always wanted to lower the steering column, so I unbolted the steering column from under the dash. I added some spacers. I replaced some of the bolts. Used all my own hardware. And I lowered the thing a little bit, but through the firewall, when you when you lower the steering column in the car, when it passes through the firewall, that part of the steering column raises a little bit because your pivot point is basically the the steering like the firewall. Right. 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 Um, that caused the U joint on the steering coming off of the uh, off the firewall to hit the header. Mm-hmm. And I have aftermarket headers. They're one and three quarter inch or bigger tube header. And I tried all sorts of things to try to make it to work. And I didn't want to be the guy that bangs on that header again and heats it up and bangs it up and heats it up and bangs Puts it. Puts a dent in yeah. it to and, make and, rim. You know. So we came up with a solution where I'm running a U joint off of the firewall. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to a – a two-piece shaft, and we added off of the K-member, we welded a support bearing, like a heim joint, a rod end. Mm-hmm. So it goes through that, and then another U-joint, and then another U-joint, 
And now it steers super smooth. There's just a slight – it almost looks like it's still straight, but there's just a slight little bump out, you know, where it goes. And it's – now it's great. Now I, now I can see why nobody lowers the steering column because of the issues with it. Right. But, but you know, it was a back and forth of getting the right pieces and getting the right U-joints and cutting the shafts down and making them work. And it was – it was probably overkill, but now it works and it's going to be comfortable to drive. And off the K member, we just welded that that support bearing, and it worked out great. Shot a little black paint on it. Now it's now it's perfect. So it's a cool little trick. So Matt just shows up at the shop and sort of just saws away. It's very you just sort of chop wood all day. I, I, people really have no idea how that's. The key to life that they they never really work that part of life out. Everybody I know, you know, when you want to make a documentary or an animated short, or you want to build your kid a treehouse or whatever it is, it's just that. All yeah. of life is that. Now the stuff you can accomplish in ten minutes isn't really the stuff worth talking about or having or whatever. Yeah. Nobody. That's why people, you know, when they when they're when they're showing off their car, they're really just showing off their attitude. Yeah. You know, I got X amount of hours into this. It took me three years to build. Yeah, I did the blah 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 myself. Nobody shows off a car and goes, "I did it and took me about ninety minutes." So right. enjoy. Like there, it's it's all about. It's it's why, you know, when you write a book and you hand it to somebody and it's thick, they go, "Whoa!" Yeah, it's not. The thickness of the book or the weight or the heft of the book, it's that you must have spent a whole – like there's a built-in respect because you must have spent a bunch of time on this thing. And everything worth having is that way and that's that's about all there is in life. The books that you did always had to fit into your schedule. Like you were saying, you just had to chip away at those books every week, a certain amount of hours every week to get it done. Like there was just no – no sane process where you sit down for seven days straight, locked in a room, and write a book. No, there's too but many things going on, right? You just got to chip away. At what it. all every single loser <laughs> I went to high school with never got. All the friends I had never really got is that life passes by really quickly. Those fifty-two weekends are going to come and go. You're going to blink your eyes. Another year's going to go by. And if you just spent a couple hours on each one of those 52 weekends, it starts to add up pretty fast into tens or hundreds of hours of work. And you would have never even really felt it because it's just a couple hours. Like writing my books, I never even really felt it. I just get in the car, get on the phone, start dictating. It's not like there was – what you feel, it's sort of like – you know, you're like, like a Navy SEAL team training. You know, you have to stay up for four days in a row or three days yeah, in a yeah. row or whatever it is. That you remember, that you feel. If you just got up 15 minutes earlier than you normally get up twice a week yeah. for a year, you wouldn't feel that. It would add up at the end of the year to being up for four straight <laughs> yeah. days, but you wouldn't feel it. Thank you, Max Pata, with a knowing and important nod. <laughs> All right. Why don't we get Steve... I'm yeah. going to uh, tell you about uh, Amazon Automotive. Ah, shopping for auto parts, hmm? tools, accessories, Qu- quickly, easily. 
Do it from your phone. Do it from your computer. Do it from your tablet. Plus, free shipping on millions of items for Prime members. Massive selection of parts, accessories, tools, fluids, even tires. Dr. Drew went to the dealer once and got tires for his car. (laughs) like, are you nuts with the BMW over there? (laughs) Top brands like uh, K&N, Bilstein, Chemical Guys, Bosch, and more. All the good stuff. Use the uh, customer Q&A and uh, get product reviews, research. Buy the right part. Not an expert? That's fine. Check out Amazon's library of video content on Amazon.com and uh, How to DIY. So it's Amazon.com slash How to DIY. Learn to install an air filter, change your oil, jump your dead battery, all the stuff I, a dude I get should so know. many parts from Amazon. I get oh, yeah, so many too. parts from Amazon. And because also their return policy is so good mm-hmm. that when I – when I get something that doesn't fit, it's it's very easy. I get I get the replacement part. It goes back. The other part goes back so easily. They're they're fantastic. Amazon.com. Get those parts. Steve Celine. Good to see you, Steve. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm uh, always happy to see you. We're always excited to uh, talk about uh, the products. Kind of. Uh, in a weird way, it's kind of weird seeing some of those uh, S7s come up at auction now and stuff like that. It's making me feel old. <laughs> it. it um, Actually, in in a couple years, they will be eligible for vintage car racing, if you can believe that. So, but uh, we just uh, sent out our press release where we're delivering our first. We're doing a special run of seven more S sevens. In the uh, what's the power plant? It's uh, our power plant. We boost the horsepower. When we first introduced the S7, it was 550 horsepower. Then after I waited for Ferrari to come out with the Enzo, and then we raised it to 750. And then uh, after a period of time, we raised to 1,000 horsepower. And these these seven we announced uh, just at the L.A. Car Show last week that they're uh, 1,300 horsepower. So you're – you're wow. bringing back this the S7, but as a special Lama edition. Yes, we are, and it's uh, it, it's pretty exciting that I think most people have seen it. It does the car has not aged at all. It's a 427 like small block Ford based engine. Well, it um, it really is our own engine. Okay. It is it is what I would call a small block American V8. Okay, we did use uh, the uh, head gaskets on bore centers when it was designed um, for the cooling. But um, it really is our, our, our engine, our casting for the aluminum block, the uh, heads, uh, all aluminum. Um, it is a push rod. Uh, still shows the American V8. It still has it in it uh, to make the horsepower. But it's a very compact I- engine. And because of that, our packaging with the S7 gave us an unusual advantage in racing on the weight transfer and uh, distribution, which really helped uh, overall on the balance of the car as well as the aerodynamics. Does um, Now, if you're getting a 1,300 horsepower, there's probably a couple turbochargers on there? Yes, we, we do have two turbochargers, and um, it... Um, uh, but but it's really quite drivable. And what and kind of transmission are you guys using? This it, now? It's our own. We had to develop it. It's um, it, it is expensive. old school <laughs> in the respect that it's a six speed manual, mm-hmm. and it has been. But we've had to do that because of the amount of torque that it to keep the uh, the half shafts and everything yeah. strong enough internally. So did 
when the car came out, it was a manual transmission, but now you're doing like a like a paddle shifted sequential. No, 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 we've set, we've kept it as all it, it a six speed been. manual. Yes, yeah, oh, we've never gone into it. The race version on this, we had, we went to your your sequential. Uh, yeah, sequential. Mm-hmm. Okay, now it, yeah, who, who who raced the car? Was it did you guys campaign the car or did? Did other teams like privateer teams because the car had a lot of success? Yes, in it, racing, it actually. If if I can brag a little bit, um, go ahead. The um, uh, it's the most successful supercar to date in the respect that the car has won at every major racetrack in the world, with no exception. And I'm talking from Shanghai, China, Mount Fuji, Japan, Laguna Seca, Daytona, Sebring. Watkins Glen, Silverstone, England, Barcelona, Spain, Imola, Italy. In fact, I should tell you the story with Ferrari on that one. Nürburgring, Germany, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and we finally won the 24 Hours of Le Mans in our class a few years ago. Well, let's wow. brag about uh, the Ferrari one. Yeah, sure. Imola, yeah, um, every, every time somebody talks about racing, somebody's like, oh, we've got a story about with Ferrari. Because Ferrari yeah. is like, they're, they, they always sort of get people excited, irritated. I'm not sure what the right word is. I, yeah. I, I, well, I don't know. They're obviously a very fierce competitor, yeah. and uh, they always set a high benchmark. And we had – this was um, in the mid-2000s, and we had a number of customers. We, we did not have a factory team. Everyone that ran and purchased the Race S7R, as we called it um, – uh, competed around the world in their own respect. And everyone not only won races, but every customer won a championship, at least one, uh, during the really the 10 years that the car was eligible through the various series. In the particular case with the Ferrari, is it was a FIA GT championship. It was at Imola, Italy. And um, it was between, this is when Michael Schumacher was driving for Ferrari, and Ferrari decided that they would show the new Maserati MC12 supercar, which yeah, in I essence, like that car. we what, love that car. Yeah. What was was uh, Enzo, Enzo on ster- steroids? Right. Yeah, and um, open cockpit. And they um, decided that at Imola, at their home track, yeah. that they would debut it, and they took their Formula One team. And John Todd was the Formula One team manager at the time. He and he brought everyone except for Michael Schumacher and the Formula One team to run two cars at Imola this weekend. And um, they had brought in um, all of the European journalists, uh, flew them in, and they set up a um, a three-ring circus tent that was like Circus de Soleil in the paddock area, I remember, on this. And they had... Um, they brought in the famous Italian chefs uh, for the full catering. Yeah. They had a uh, supermodel runway show uh, to entertain everyone. And they even had a full orchestra that uh, was playing inside their tent this whole weekend. And um, on, as a contrast to it, we had a, a team from Germany that showed up in their Win- Winnebago. They had their hibachi and their brats on the far end of the uh, – um, the paddock area, and um, anyway, as it um, as it turned out, um, the day of the race, uh, Luca de Montemazzello, who was the head of Ferrari, and I would say next to the Pope, he was the second most popular person in Italy <laughs> at the time, and he bought, brought his whole entourage with him, and um, uh, so we had our pits set up, 
and a Ferrari had qualified on the pole. We had a Celine S7 second, another Celine S7 third, another Ferrari, and then there was the two Maseratis were right together, and then the rest of the field. And uh, this was live on Eurosport television. And the race started, and the Ferrari led for about a dozen laps. And then on cue, the one of the S7, the German S7, um, came through uh, for the lead. And on cue, the both Maseratis came came up onto it. And it was a long race. It was a six-hour endurance race. And I remember sitting there. We were in the pits, and uh, we came into the last pit stop on this and we're looking up in the corner of the tv and we're watching live and they're showing uh, luca alive on he's pounding on mika salo who was uh, number two driver in at that time with schumacher um and he's pounding on his chest and you know what he's telling him you're going to get in this car and you need to win this damn race yeah right and um um so all all three cars really came into the pit lane about the same time we did a driver change um uh, tire change and and f- uh, fuel yeah. fuel up um, with the gas, and then I remember looking at pit lane, and they all peeled out and went down pit lane about the same time. And uh, um, the S seven went on. Then it became a sprint race to the end. And the S seven went on. We lapped the one Maserati, and we finished forty five seconds in front of the second Maserati. And Luca then after we won the race, and after. After that, Luca had to get up in front of all the press, all the Italian press, and tell them that they were no match for the Celine today. <laughs> wow. So, like, what, well, what, a, year, what year was that? That was, um, I'm going to say 2004. It would be. Um, we love uh, and, we love the MC12. I said open cockpit earlier. I don't. I didn't mean it. it has I, it has this big intake over the cockpit, which yes. I yeah. thought was uh, really cool. That's a. It's a. It's actually. Kind of the S7 and the MC12. The MC12 feels like a bulkier version of it, but the yeah. same kind of uh, S7 is a big car. It's a architecture. Wide car. Yeah. Um, so the uh, we have a question, by the way, from uh, Chris from Eugene, Oregon. So I guess we can just ask Steve that. Chris, hey guys. Hey, you got a question for Steve? I do, uh, Steve. It's a uh, <clears throat> honor to be on the phone with you. The um, <clears throat> excuse me, the S7 is one of my favorite cars of all time, let alone supercars. I mean, what you did with, with the shape and the long tail and having that car under 3,000 pounds and 750 horsepower with a 351 Windsor is pretty, uh, pretty unbelievable. I'm hoping you can tell us maybe more about the early days of that car, the, the, the vision, the design process. Did you start with that engine? Did you consider other engines and uh, how you brought that car from the drawing board uh, to life? And also, Steve, you said that uh, in a few years the race car is going to be eligible for uh, vintage racing. What year were the race cars, and then when? I'm not sure. I do a little vintage racing. I'm not sure exactly what the rules are. The uh, well, typically it's 20 years um, uh-huh. is what uh, is what I'm told to go back up to the Monterey historic right. um, races. But um, we started. Um, the, the S7 actually started out from our Mustang. I had taken one of our Mustangs through the years, through the 80s and the 90s, and we had raced them, obviously won a lot of championships throughout North America, and we went on a global uh, tour um, with uh, Tim Allen one year uh, and took the cars over to Le Mans, raced at all of the European tracks with the Mustangs. 
But I felt that we had taken the Mustang as far as we you could take it. We had stretched it. I had lowered it. We changed literally everything on the Mustang except the rear taillights. And uh, and some of the, the sports car racing, it still was not the right platform. So that was kind of the genesis for us saying, well, maybe it'd be easier if we just started our own ground-up uh, design. And at the, at the time, in in uh, this is 1999, the McLaren F1 was really kind of the benchmark yeah. that they had already established. And so that was kind of where we were looking at uh, their benchmark and saying, okay, if we use some American ingenuity, how would we approach this? And um, I uh, we started with a clean clean sheet of paper. And um, I employed some um, an aerodynamicist that was with a Formula One team over in Europe at the time. And I felt that the decade of the 2000s, would aerodynamics would become a lot more important in the overall uh, performance of the vehicle. And basically, we came up with our design, and then we went into the wind tunnel. We first started with a scale model. Um, and I went to Europe to kind of for two reasons. One was to keep it quiet um, because the track record for people doing their own cars and supercars with their name on it wasn't very good in the U.S. Yeah. And two, I wanted to immerse our racing activities with uh, the technology that was available primarily from Formula One. And um, budget allowed to where I could go on and we did the uh, wind tunnel testing at the um, – uh, University of uh, Glasgow in mm-hmm. Scotland had a uh, small uh, rolling plane um, wind tunnel that I could go on there for length, a good length of time. And we let the wind tunnel kind of determine, if you will, after we did our initial uh, styling, the actual length, the height, and the width of the vehicle and uh, what was the most aerodynamic efficient uh, that we could actually make. And then from there, we came back and did the packaging on how to actually do that. And that's what I was saying is using a small block American V8 gave us an advantage, especially like over the Maserati, because using the, the 12-cylinder or the big, which was more of the European model, they had a lot of weight with the engine and transmission. We were able to make it very compact, put it in the dead center of the car, and uh, – uh, was were able to really package the airflow around it a lot more effective. And that was really kind of the genesis on this is that I looked at, and I th- everyone that was associated, we looked at what we could do to extract the most amount of performance and efficiency, not just in straight line. Everyone always measures zero to 60 or quarter mile run. We were looking at what would give us the best straight line speed, but also the right aerodynamics so I could actually s- step on the brakes and pivot left or pivot right through a chicane or a sweeping corner. And so that was really how we established the S7. How much yeah. easier, if if it is, is it to start on a car today with all the computers and all the aids that – it, you know, I mean, when you started the S7, it was still pretty much just whatever how they did it of 65 years before that. I mean, they didn't have wind tunnels, but I mean, you get some clay out and get some models and get some plywood bucks and stuff like that. I mean, is it just that much easier to do it now? It, it has, in some respects, it's gotten easier from an overall design standpoint. 
from a um, legality standpoint with FMVSS requirements and everything else is probably the more difficult. OBD2 requirements, tailpipe emissions, and all of that has gotten a lot more restrictive um, on doing that. I will say, though, with the S7, we were were, um, relatively small budget. And it was also in in a hurry. So we started, we kicked it off officially in December of 1999, and we showed our, the first car in 2000 at Pebble Beach in August of 2000. Wow. And, and then the first time the race car ran was the month following in, or two months following in October up at Laguna Seca. And um, that's really fast. And then, and then the car yeah. competed in four championships with four different teams in 2001, and it won in all four championships its first full year of racing. How, how many S7s were made? We, not counting the eight, we've made just a little under 100. We'll probably be right at 100 total S7s with, our, with the remaining seven that we're doing. Main, that includes the, the race cars? Yes, that includes. There was uh, f- uh, 14 race cars out of that that went to various teams over the course of its uh, run. Yeah. Are they all silver? <laughs> no. No, the race cars were like red, white, and blue. No, the street cars we keep seeing oh, are, that look great. Wait, There's haven't just I a seen some in like an orange, I, like a, oh, almost yeah, a Lamborghini yeah. orange? And a, and a we call it beryllium, beryllium. Sorry, which is copper, but it, it is. Uh, and there's like a like a darker red, I think we, I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. We offered eight colors, and there's an S7, at least one, each in all eight colors. Um, the uh, So we have a, like a candy apple Red that we call Listic Red, which is named after my wife Liz, <laughs> and um, then we have the uh, uh, what we call Chrome Molly uh, Silver, which is named after my daughter Molly. <laughs> and uh, um, but uh, the other colors are we have you know Speed Lab Yellow and yeah. and all of the other colors as as well. Yeah, the special edition Lama editions, all of those are the Chrome Molly Silver with a candy black, but we have it to where you can see the full carbon fiber body underneath the black, which is really a pretty, when you're out in the sun, it really is a pretty cool-looking um, aspect of the car. Yeah, doing carbon fiber bodies of that size and scale in that day in 99, 2000, they're, they're expensive. <laughs> they're yeah, well, like, it, it, carbon it's, just isn't quite like it it's is today. More, it's more expensive today than it was. The, the one thing I was going to say is that we did not, unlike a lot of the companies, we did not, we did a pencil sketches, and then we went, we were probably one of the first to put the whole design in CAD, and we never did a full model. We did a scale model cutout of one-fifth scale in CAD, and once we approved that, and then after the wind tunnel testing, we went directly to final molds rather than go through all of the stuff that you see today sometimes when either clay or full scale. You said it's more expensive now to do the body. Yeah the 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 body back in in uh, the early two thousands our cost on the carbon fiber and this is again th- this is the best carbon fiber you can buy laid up in vacuum bagged and then put into uh, autoclave for cooked under pressure and in heat yeah. for whatever period of time and uh, our cost um, w- has gone way up back there we paid. Just the body alone was over a hundred thousand dollars, and today it's another twenty or thirty percent higher than that when we started. 
Wow, I wow. thought the cost. I yeah, thought I thought it would go down by now. Well, but. I remember talking to the McLaren guys about building the tub for their car, and they're like, the first one took uh, cost a hundred grand and took two hundred man hours, and this one cost eighteen grand and took nine man hours or something. I thought, oh, so it, it's gone down, but. That was the McLaren yeah. tub. I don't, I don't know. I guess if you're making seven of them, they're yeah, it, 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 on our on a very limited run, it is very expensive because oh, each I one see. is done by hand. Right. Con- conversely, so if you're doing a thousand units, it'd be cheap. Yeah, yeah. So conversely, we're doing carbon fiber body on the new car we showed at the LA Auto Show, the Celine S1, mm-hmm. and that's a full carbon body too. And we're selling the whole car for a hundred thousand dollars. So yeah. your scale. Of your and the type of tooling that you use ends up being very important in the overall costing as well. I got to see a picture of that uh, S1, which I have not yeah. seen. It's a 2.5 turbo. I'm, I'm looking at here, uh, 450 horsepower. I love the fact that everyone's going down in displacement and cylinders and cranking up the horsepower. And I just it feels very uh, European to me. Oh yeah, we did look at this car. Let me tell you, and we'll get into the uh, S1 in a second. Let me tell you about Simply Safe first. Mm. Think about some home security this year. You better think about Simply Safe. I worked with them. I put together a security arsenal, and I did just for you. I got a special package, handpicked by me. Entry, motion, glass break sensors, everything you need. And right now, for the holidays, my friends at Simply Safe. Are giving my listeners two hundred bucks off of this package. Coming into two thousand eighteen, people, let's protect our things. No contracts, no commitments, no long term lock in anything. Go to Simply Safe right now. Simply Safe, you get the two hundred bucks off of uh, my custom package. Simply Safe, two eyes in there. dot com slash Adam three. Simply Safe dot com Adam. Sorry, simplysafe.com slash Adam3. That's T-H-R-E-E. Get the 200 bucks savings, man, in my special package. Uh, yeah, so the yeah. S1, let's talk about yeah, that. Yeah, tell us about that. How did this come about? Well, this is at the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> um, but we still wanted to have um, uh, a little different take to where I felt that we could actually design and build an affordable car that uh, a lot of people not not that a hundred thousand dollars is still you know affordable but in this spectrum it certainly is a lot different than i think what people expected to see from us how many units do you reckon uh, you'll be doing we're we're looking at doing about 1500 units a year which is the same as i did when we had when we did the ford gt program for ford that's basically eight a day on one shift so the structure that you put in and the manufacturing would be very similar. Now, you're partnering up with a, a Chinese company on this. What's the involvement with that? How does that break down? Well, there was, um, uh, yeah, some pre, preemptive um, news out of China. We're, we're actually doing a, uh, a, uh, a television show, a reality TV show in China. Okay. And the S1 is actually one of the stars in the show. So they had a uh, special event that they were involved with on branding, and they showed the S1. And then people in China took and kind of filled in a lot of gaps that were not given on that. And so then that kind of got us into that. We we are um, the um, 
we we have partnered with a Chinese company. It's called uh, Jansu Celine Automotive Technology. We've licensed our use of our name uh, to a startup uh, car company in China. And um, what um, what they wanted to do was have kind of an entry level uh, sports car. And uh, in doing that, about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago. They had purchased, um, unbeknownst to me, had purchased the remnants of a car company out of Germany called the Ortega. Yeah. And um, in doing that, um, they had got me involved about a year ago and said, hey, we want you to just do kind of a modification and bring it to, up to speed. After looking at it uh, not too long, we realized that it was really too old and really would not meet any of today's standards. Um, technology had moved on dramatically. All of crash and uh, occupant safety and tailpipe emissions, all of that would have to be redone. So we we decided to uh, discard that and still keep with the same model uh, as a small uh, sports car um, with what, what I call supercar credentials and re- redo a ground up, which is what it, what you see with the S1. You got a 2.5 Ford motor in there? No, it, um, again, You're this, tired of everyone asking it, this you that? came out from, uh, <laughs> from, uh, from China. So we've, we've established our own 2.5 uh, inline four. It's a turbocharged motor, um, has a different head configuration than what you've seen on this, and it allows us to uh, to boost it to get 450 horsepower in a very light package. Overhead. Where are you going to make it? We Everything Camp. has been designed and engineered at our headquarters in uh, Southern California here in Corona, okay. and the manufacturing will all be done too. At some point in time in the future, then the plant that they're setting up in China will go ahead and build uh, the plan is that they will build some for the Asian market, but we'll continue to service North America. The engine here. or the car? Pardon? The engine or the car? Both. So you're going to build the S1s here for the U.S., and they're going to build them there for the for Yeah, the but it'll be probably a year, year and a half before you see yeah. China uh, has their facility up to be able to do that. Yeah. The and- motor. So describe the motor to us because, I'm, you know, some of the uh, Datsuns, for instance, I was driving me nuts. They put the intake and the exhaust on the same side. It's hard for me to get the, the headers off. Yeah. But, I mean, and then some swap it and have the in- intake on one side and the exhaust on the other. Some are single cam, four cam, or two cam, uh, you know, push rod. They're all different. What is the general architecture of the engine? Well, it, it's similar to, to today's. It's a direct-injected mm-hmm. uh, uh, engine on it. It's um, it, it really is a much more um, modern engine in in the respect that uh yeah we're not using push rods and uh, it's a again a very compact uh f- four cylinder i i would say other than the the push rod on this it really is is more if you would think if we took half of a v8 mm-hmm. uh, you know and be specific a 302 v8 and kind of took all the good things out of it and ran uh, the type of uh, bolts and stuff so we can run more pressure um, through the you know the head gaskets and we can put more pressure into the cylinder and still have good durability has been part of that aspect and then we the intake system we designed with the car so on the car you see where it has some intake on the side so on one side that's that's your intake that's coming in uh, through the engine and the other one is for 
um, part of the air cooling for the intercooler. It's the air-to-air intercooler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I will say the, the intercooler by itself probably is bigger than most radiators. It takes up almost, in this case, a full trunk. It's a single overhead cam? Yes. And running a chain. Is everyone running a chain these most, days? Yeah. We're all we, back to we, chains? Yeah, I don't, yeah, no, I don't think good. you're running too many gears anymore. I don't like anymore, well, so. belt. I was thinking about belts but yeah. versus yeah. chains. Yeah. But we got away from the belts, which is good. <laughs> they don't, they don't have to replace them as often. And uh, how many pounds of boost do you need to get? Uh, well, we, we uh, haven't actually finalized that yet, but you, you have to be in the 18 to, <coughs> to get that kind of power. You have to be in the 18 to 20. It is it all now with the pre-detonation stuff and the computer and the retard and advance? You know, back in the day, they do like water injection and stuff, you know, just to stop all the pre-detonation. Now I feel like the computer will allow you to really turn that boost up and not have the pre-detonation. It's actually two two combinations with the advancement in electronics has been unbelievable. So your your fuel spark, which is what all of the major manufacturers have been pushing, and that some of the technology to get better fuel economy is what has driven this. But going also into direct injection, which is primarily – initially was for better fuel economy, now has turned into where when you make an engine more efficient, you get more power as well. Yeah. And and as everything is like racing, is you're always trying to optimize the efficiency of the total vehicle. And in the engine particular is um, that efficiency with the direct injection with the new electronics and what can be done to control the fuel spark aspect of it has really helped a lot in both the power, drivability, and tailpipe emissions at the same time. I'm trying to, I have a uh, vintage racing question for you. I I know Tim Allen a little bit, and I've talked to him about racing those Mustangs. And I'm thinking, and Matt, you can uh, help me out on this. You know, when we go to a lot of these vintage races, we do see some Roush stuff and some Mercury stuff and some Capri stuff and some Ford stuff. But I can't think of the saline stuff. Uh, Celine, sorry. Yeah. Can you? Is there stuff out there? Is it getting out there? Yes, it is. Um, we did not. A lot of the, in Adam, you in particular are into the Trans Am yeah. aspect of it, um, and um, so we. I ran um, in two separate areas. I ran a Celine Mustang in the Trans Am series. But mm-hmm. we concentrated more on the World Challenge Series, mm-hmm. which is, again, would be in a different category than what, what you're seeing in the typical um, groups that you're running into it. But there are a number of ones. I had the opportunity to go to uh, to drive our uh, our uh, winning car from uh, Mossport in 1986 at Mid-Ohio, and that, was, that brought up back. Uh, a lot of memories in doing that in our 87 Mustang. So they are running, but it typically is in a different class than what you're compete that you've been competing in yeah, with I've your just, Trans Am I, cars. I think specifically you're talking about like walking around at Monterey uh, for the Rolex Historics and, 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 you know, when do we start to see, you know, Celine race cars show up? Well, we're going to see the S7 coming up. Yeah. That's, that and there's, you know, you know, in, there's a, in a couple of years. In a couple of years. Oh, we're looking, yeah, right. So is that the 86 we're looking at a picture that, of? That's one the, now? Yeah, that picture that we have is our 87 uh, Celine Mustang. So, right. And that would qualify for the 20-year rule now. So. No, but you're, 
you're right in that the guys aren't going to go out there with that car with the big slick cars right. and the 850 horsepower stuff like the crazy tube frame modified whatever yeah these a, are not tube yeah. frame these are real cars right that's and what i'm saying they like, were that's closer to the challenge. original trans right. am cars actually and i we went down that road because i felt to improve our breed and, <laughs> and improve what we did for the street that this had a much more direct correlation yeah, uh, it does. On, on doing that. Well, you know, we have Datsun Z cars that don't have any Datsun Z anything. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> yeah, there's the car that I drove yeah, they, at, in Ohio they here don't last seem, year. They don't seem like Z cars um, at all. Full tube frame. You got some business? Yeah, there? well, I got a couple questions about the company, too. But first, let me tell you guys about Geico. You know, everybody's got a to-do list. You drop off your dry cleaning, you pick up some milk, and now you can add, save hundreds of dollars of on your car insurance, and you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. You can just go to Geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you can easily be saving 15% or more on your car insurance. So if you want some extra money in your pocket, you can do a little shopping, some car parts for the holidays. You know, this is the most rewarding to-do you can do today. Go to Geico.com. All right. So as we uh, turn the corner and bring it on home questions yeah i just wanted to uh to touch base on uh you know i've been such a fan of 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 you and the Celine mustangs for so long uh being a fox body mustang guy the the company looks like it's had some up and downs over the years with the economy and things like that tell us th- the quick story what happened with Celine, and then it, then you started sms and now you've got Celine back and now we have a public company and we can clearly see where where we are financially What's what's the future of it? What it, happened there, and what's the future it, of it? it um, well, I started. The, we're almost thirty-five years into this, yeah. and we've produced cars every single year. A um, lot of cars over thirty-five. Yeah, it, it, we're we're approaching thirty thousand Celine vehicles on the road. Did you guys do a rent a racer program back in the day? We, we had. We, we even had to rent a car from Budget Rental Car as well. Yeah. So we've we've kind of covered all all of the. Uh, all of the aspects of it, but um, I started the company off of our uh, dining room table. The kitchen table wasn't big enough, so I started in '83, <laughs> the off the uh, the dining room table. And over the years, we went through and we built the company up, and we got to the point where um, in uh, 2000, actually um, the end of 2003, 2004, I had the opportunity to sell the company. And so I kind of debated, do I, do I not? And I decided that I would go ahead. And I sold the company to a private investment group in 2000, um, the tail end of 2003, beginning of 2004. And unfortunately, like some of these go, is that the honeymoon was fine for uh, about a couple years. We were still doing the Ford GT program. And towards the tail end of that, we had a disagreement as to the direction of the company. And I was no longer, you know, the shareholder, major shareholder of the company. So uh, obviously my opinion didn't count for as much. And so um, in 2007, I decided that the decisions that they were making, I didn't feel that the company would survive. And I resigned. I, I just quit. I know uh, you read the Internet and, and all this stuff wrong. Oh, I was forced out or no. No, I, I, I realized that the decisions that they were making were not correct and the company, I felt, would not survive. So I resigned in spring of 2007. And about a year later, sure enough, they ended up closing their doors. 
Then what happened was is that I spent the next five and a half years through the legal system arguing on who owned the, the name Celine and all the IP. And in 2013, I finally won that uh, case through the through the courts, and then I had to restart the company. And so we decided I was kind of burned out on raising capital for uh, – from uh, the uh, private equity group, so we decided was suggested I could go in and um, uh, into the public domain and raise some capital. So we went ahead and did that, and um, it's been an inter- inter- interesting ride. In that is, we've been traded on uh, penny stocks, um, and uh, it, it certainly I don't feel is an indication of the uh, worth of the of the company. Uh, on doing that, we have recently that we have delisted on this as I've regrouped everything here because again we we announced the fact that it's a restart, so I have to raise capital to get us up to where we're going. But everyone thinks that that's a major weakness of what you're doing as a company, and uh, so we decided that you know we'll we'll be dark here for a period of time on this deal as we are expanding. But I will tell you that from a financial standpoint, we're, things are moving along really pretty good. Obviously, we're bringing out new cars, new products. I drove up today in our 30th anniversary of our first race win or championship yeah, I like in, that car. in the Mustangs. And um, uh, th- th- things things are are moving where they're supposed to. And are you are you are you back to doing the Mustangs and and the one off the the supercars or are you still working on work your relationship with Dodge and GM as well. We we are um I'm concentrating more on the Ford side of the business on what we call the Celine signature car side. So we've announced we've we've shown our uh 2018 uh Celine Mustang. We also uh announced and you'll see at uh, Barrett Jackson next month, you'll see our uh, Celine F150 sport truck in okay. live and in person. We just came out um uh Two months ago, when we we're delivering, now we're delivering our 30th anniversary Celine Mustangs from our race car days, and um, um, we just showed a brand new uh, sports car, the Celine S1 here, and we've just <coughs> delivered our first uh, of the seven of the um, S7. So, from a productivity standpoint, I'd say we're really um, hitting on all eight cylinders. Good. Well, good. I like. Um I like that. Yeah, I'll I like see you Barry Jackson, too. I like to I'm going to check a, out the truck. I like to live in a world where uh, Celine is out there and has <laughs> products. I feel that way about the Super Bowl. I like seeing the Patriots and the Giants, like the Dodgers and the, the, the Yankees. I just like those names out there. Yeah. I like I like that Celine's out there. And I like that uh, Amazon's out there, man. We get so many. I mean, so many of the parts Matt gets for the uh, Mustang are yeah. off of Amazon. I get everything off of Amazon, too. It's easy. You get uh, parts, you get tools, you get accessories, you get all the, uh, I don't know, microfiber rags, whatever it is you want. And uh, you get the free shipping on millions of items for the Prime members. Massive selection of parts, accessories, tools, fluids, even tires. I didn't know you could get tires from Amazon. Makes sense. I just got windshield wipers. You just got windshield (laughs) wipers. It's going to be raining soon. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you get top brands like K&N, Bilstein, Chemical Guys, Bosch, and uh, more. So, tired of looking up part numbers and uh, reading catalogs, Amazon's all you need. You just put the year, the make, the model, it all comes up there. Very computerized, very easy, user-friendly. Use the uh, customer Q&A 
and uh, product reviews, and you make sure you buy the right part. And they have the uh, they have uh, all the uh, do-it-yourself stuff and videos and everything like that. So go to Amazon.com slash vehicles, and you can find reviews, specs, images, everything else, and uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, new and classic cars as well. The parts, it's all out there. Go to Amazon.com slash vehicles, and you can find all the specs and all the images and all the stuff you want. All right, let's see. me, let's see, if you want to get our movies, we got a lot of good car movies coming out. Some are already out. Go to Chassis, two S's and a Y, dot com. And uh, me and Mike August in Irvine, that's uh, January 25th. We're doing basic cable commentary. That's uh, Cobra. Lynette's running uh, Corolla Drinks. So go to CorollaDrinks.com and check out Shift and Steer. You can listen to that at Podcast One as well. Steve, uh, we should send people to the website, Celine S. A L double E N dot com. Just go there to find out any yes, products or yes, whatever they want to yeah, put an or, order in. Yeah, or give us a call and and uh, we certainly would like to talk. We'll be at again a lot of the the major car shows around the country. We'll be at the next one is Barrett Jackson. Mm-hmm. I would like yeah. to say one thing though, Adam yeah. is um, I know you're a great history buff and looking around your shop here. I look at some of the pictures you had here with Paul Newman. I I would like to tell you one of my little stories, if I can, is that um, when I was a teenager, uh, I was in the cars, and I was part of the Mustang Club, and we were the host club. We were actually part of the safety crew, uh, the patrol safety crew at Ontario Motor Speedway here in Southern California, and... um, they had a race there. It was called the Questor Grand Prix, and that was the Indy cars against the Formula One cars. And they had all the top drivers from Formula One in the day and all the top drivers in IndyCar. And they had the way it was laid out. They had the garage, or the the inside pits were on the inside of the track, and you had the grandstands on the outside of the track. And they had a tunnel that came under it. And I was in charge of, of policing uh, between the Ferrari and the BRM team on the, where, where the tunnel came up on the stairway. And um, um, during practice on the deal, I had to make sure people weren't smoking in the pits for the refueling mm-hmm. and obviously drinking alcoholic beverages. So I'm there during the practice, and, and up through the tunnel comes up the stairway is t- two gentlemen that I had to stop, and that was uh, Steve McQueen and Paul Newman. Wow. And, and what they year had, is this? They, they, had the, they had their beer, of course so I had, to, I had to stop them both and <laughs> say, hey, guys, <laughs> we need to put this in on doing it. And uh, What year is this? I don't – it had to be 1969, okay. 1970, yeah. um, okay. in that time frame, and uh, – um, and so that was my encounter with Steve McQueen. Uh, but Paul Newman, I raced against numerous times. I know you've done the story on his life sure. on doing it. And I would yeah. always joke with him um, at the races. I said, yeah, you know, you probably don't remember, but I was the one that stopped you and McQueen for coming in the pits on, on doing that and all of that. So we always got a, a, a bit of a, a laugh out of that one. So I thought you wow. would appreciate You're the that beer Paul police. Newman story. <laughs> beer police. <laughs> beer police. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so go to uh, Celine.com, and yes, we do appreciate any of those stories. And one of the, the good part about making one of these movies is everyone shares uh, a yeah. story from no, back in the day, story. a genuine story. So, until next time, it's Adam Kroll for Steve Celine and Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea, saying keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. 
For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. 